Hello and welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast, brought to you by the SOAS Coding Club. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. This week, we are joined by Raina Tan to speak about dynamic solutions for healthcare in the Global South. Raina is Swiss, Malaysian, and Canadian. He grew up in Canada and finished med school at the University of Lausanne, Switzerland in 2014. He was the field coordinator in Tanzania for the NGO Canada-Africa Community Health Alliance and is now in residency training for a specialization in tropical medicine while completing a clinical research fellowship for a PhD in clinical epidemiology at the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute. Rainer's research consists of developing and evaluating clinical decision algorithms for the management of sick children in peripheral, mostly rural health facilities in Tanzania with the Dynamic Project. He will be moving to Tanzania in January 2020 for two to three years to work on this project. And the Dynamic Project is led by the Global and Digital Health Unit at Unisante in Lausanne, Switzerland, in collaboration with the Swiss TPH, EPFL, and the Ifakara Health Institute and the National Institute for Medical Research in Tanzania. Hi, Reina. Hi, Chipo. <laughs> thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So can you just start by giving us some background into the work you do and tell us a bit about what antimicrobial resistant infections are and why they pose such a huge threat? Yeah, so basically antimicrobial resistance are microbes that become resistant to drugs. So that can be antibacterial resistance, can be antipyristic, and this is done through various mechanisms in which the microbes, or in the case of antibiotic resistance, the, the bacteria, develop a type of resistance by changing uh, mechanisms in which drugs can access the bacteria or microbe, in which then the drug does not become effective in treating them. Right. And why does that pose such a threat? And why is it such an urgent issue? The big threat is that we won't have antibiotics or antimicrobials that will be able to treat certain infections. And then it results in a kind of pre-antibiotic era in Mm. which people will die for simple infections like pneumonia. Antimicrobials and mostly antibiotics are used for humans to treat uh, bacterial infections and also use uh, in animals. And so the use of antibiotics then induces uh, resistance by normal mechanisms. And by overusing it, there's more risk of having antibiotic resistance. And is that something that's happening globally, like in the West and in the Global South? Or is it more pressing in the Global South and in which regions? I mean, it's definitely an issue um, all over the world. The data we have on uh, the extent of antimicrobial resistance is not great everywhere around the world. Uh, typically, we have good data in Europe and North America, uh, but not such good data in, for example, Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, but it seems um, from the little evidence we have, it seems that it's, it's definitely an issue over there, too. So what are ECDAs then and how are they being used to respond to this issue? So ECDAs, that's what I've been working on. So they're electronic clinical decision algorithms or electronic clinical decision support systems. And the way I like to explain it is that it's kind of a tool that clinicians can use that help them understand what's happening with the patient by putting in the symptoms and the signs, so the clinical signs, and guiding the clinician to know what tests to do if necessary or what clinical signs to look out for and then help them pose a diagnostic, and then from that diagnosis to guide them for the most appropriate treatment. 
And how are these technologies developed? What type of artificial intelligence do they use, like machine learning? And how are they more preferred than the existing technologies or medical practices? So the way they're done, I mean, at least the way we're developing our clinical decision algorithms, it's basically by just looking, this is all like human based, you know, we're looking at the evidence on what are the best predictors for a certain disease, what are predictors for severe outcomes, and then combining those predictors, whether there's um, symptoms or signs, to be able to get the most precise way of getting a diagnosis. And, and I mean, the complexity of that is that many people can present a disease in different ways. And so we have to keep it large enough to capture all those people that might have that disease, but not too large that we overtreat people who don't necessarily have the disease. Right, yeah. And then you mentioned artificial intelligence. So that's something we're going to be looking into for the second stage of our project in which with the data that we're going to be getting from treating thousands of patients with these clinical decision algorithms, we're going to have data on, you know, what kind of symptoms and signs led to a person failing a disease or if we have a really good test that can identify more precisely a certain diagnosis. We can then kind of crunch the real data of the patients who are treated with them to see how we can improve the algorithms in ways that are logical, uh, medically logical. That would mean that we're kind of directing the artificial intelligence so that those mechanisms can work to find logical uh, ways to improve the algorithm. And so what other gaps in healthcare are being filled by these new technologies with reference to your own projects or others that you're aware of? So maybe mobile phones or other hardware or different apps, perhaps? I mean, one of the things that we're trying to promote with this program is that in Tanzania, the idea with having these clinical decision algorithms is that with the gathering of the data, we can uh, maybe have better disease surveillance. And so by understanding there's many kids presenting with fever, with a rash, we can say, oh, maybe there's a dengue epidemic in that region. And so we should look into that and maybe invest into a point of care test for dengue in that region. Other things that we're trying to promote is access to simple technologies such as point of care tests. And so again, like dengue and malaria, they're really great point of care tests. On malaria, the point of care tests are available almost everywhere in Tanzania, but tests for dengue is not available or hemoglobin to detect anemia or even inflammatory markers such as CIP or procalcitonin. And oftentimes, if they're used correctly, they can really help the clinician make a better decision on how to treat a patient. So it sounds like the ECDA is more a way to identify what the issue is to then come up with the best and most effective treatment. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, cool. Does the ECDA have its own, like, hardware? Is it a device? Yeah, so right now, I mean, the idea we'd like to have is to kind of create a type of app that the clinicians can put in the symptoms and will trigger based on what symptoms and what chief complaint categories the patient would present with. Can I help them ask the right questions, um, look out for certain clinical signs, and then to lead them to diagnosis and treatment? Great. So what 
positive impact is expected from introducing these technologies in the field, especially considering maybe that there are different local requirements in different locations or regions? And maybe you have some examples of some success cases where there's been some qualitative or quantitative research to some of the pilots and trials so far. Yeah, so I think the first things that we're hoping this tool will do is reduce antibiotic prescription. And so we spoke a bit earlier about uh, antibiotic resistance, and that is really fueled by overuse of antibiotics. So the more we use antibiotics, the more antibiotic resistance can occur. So in one study among febrile children, we found that using an earlier version of this uh, ECDA called EPOC among children with fever in the routine arm, so the way they would practice medicine normally, 95% of kids with fever receive antibiotics. When we used EPOC, ECDA, the electronic clinical decision algorithm, only 12% received antibiotics. And uh, we found that actually the clinical outcome were actually even a little bit better among those that used the clinical algorithm. So that was that's quite significant for us. And our hopes in the dynamic trial is to you know spread that to a bigger group of children and to expand it across the nation to reduce antibiotic prescription, improve clinical outcome. And one of the ways we hope to improve clinical outcome is by identifying better severe cases. So by outlining what kind of signs and symptoms are kind of red flags to say that, oh, this child is sick, this child could potentially die, we need to address them to a higher hospital setting. Um, Other ways the ECD can help is through education. So oftentimes in peripheral centers and primary care centers in Tanzania, at least where we work, there are no medical doctors. Actually, Tanzania has one of the lowest rates of medical doctors per capita in the world. And so they rely on clinical officers and um, nurses to perform primary care to a lot of these children. And they do a great job, but they, they have limited supervision, limited training, sometimes two to three years of clinical training before going out and working uh, compared to many years we have uh, here in North America and in Europe. And so what we found in some qualitative studies that actually the clinicians really enjoy using these tools because they found it as a kind of educational opportunity to be guided by evidence-based medicine on the best ways to treat, diagnose, and manage children with different diseases. Another thing that was kind of revealed in qualitative studies with other ECDAs, um, notably in Burkina Faso, is that patients felt that there was a bit more equity in care. They felt that because there was a tool used to assess their children, they felt that they were getting the same care as every other child, and there were no biases in that sense. So that was kind of an unexpected result that ECDs have. And then again, it comes to a disease surveillance that we can uh, use to understand what diseases are being diagnosed and how we can then use that information to better allocate resources to prevent and manage different diseases. Yeah, that sounds really great and really impactful. And what would you say are some challenges in getting these technologies off the ground and also increasing their scale? I'm not sure how long you've been developing the technology for the Dynamic Project, for example, and how many people you've reached so far and how you aim to scale it. So the first versions of the algorithms that have been developed by our team, led by Valérie Dacremont, one version, so is basically an adapted WHO integrated management of childhood illnesses. 
guidelines and it has been spread to other countries uh, due to its success. And then the second version that was found to be even better in terms of antibiotic prescription and clinical outcomes, this one has not been spread. And in fact, we've been waiting for this new version to then test it and evaluate it among a bigger group of children. Ideally, the goal of it spreading to the rest of the country. Now, for that to work, I mean, there's a lot of limitations, right? First, clinicians have to accept it. They need to, you know, feel that it is helping them and that they feel that there's an impact in terms of better management and better care of the children. That the patients also accept it. I mean, despite certain qualitative studies saying that parents and children really like this tool, to the point actually in one area in Burkina Faso, they actually went out and bought tablets so that they could have access to this tool in their clinical centers uh, before it was introduced there. And then there has to be kind of government buy-in. And so we've put a lot of effort into you know, working with Tanzanian partners and to work with the government so that it is in line with their strategy on how they want to manage children. And we've been lucky with Tanzania because they have just launched what they call the Tanzania Digital Health Investment Roadmap from 2017 to 2023, in which they really want to invest in health technologies to better manage children, better have surveillance on diseases. And we hope in collaborating with them and working together, we can create a tool that works for them and uses the most evidence-based medicine and up-to-date medicine to have the best care possible for these children. And are there any regulatory considerations, whether they're local or global, maybe considering the storage of data and who owns that data? That's that's a really good question. So I, I see two points in that. The first is regulation of a kind of medical tool. And because it's so new, having these kind of clinical algorithms to diagnose and treat patients, in the beginning, it was kind of a free-for-all. I mean, people were developing these. And actually, in a lot of cases, they were kind of a black box. Nobody knew what was involved in these algorithms. And so we're taking a lot of steps to make sure that we're as transparent as possible to allow the world to know exactly what's inputted into these algorithms. And with many review processes with our Tanzanian partners to make sure that they are in line with those algorithms and so that it does go with their national policy. Now, there are regulatory bodies that are looking into kind of approving these so that it's not a free-for-all, it's not a Wild West, and that people don't just put out these black boxes where we don't know what the algorithms are. But that's something in development. And sorry, I, the second part of the question was uh, in terms of the regulations data. For, yeah, for data, how it's stored, who owns the data. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say something false. So I think I'm not going to completely answer that question because I'm not sure if I have all the information. The idea with the dynamic project is that the data is owned by the Tanzanian government. But now in terms of the storage, I'm not exactly sure where the data will be stored and how that will work. Okay, cool. And tell us a bit about how these technologies are integrated in different local contexts. Just considering local perceptions and uptake of the new methods and technologies, which you've mentioned a little bit, and also considering local customary or traditional practices. Um, You did mention that the number of trained healthcare clinicians is quite low. So I assume I'm making an assumption that there's, especially in rural areas, traditional medical practices that take place and also just socioeconomics, the different aspects of integrating these technologies. Yeah, those are really great questions. 
I think the local perceptions and the uptake of these technologies will be vital to the success. What we'll have to do is we'll have to make sure we have good qualitative research to understand what the perceptions are to make sure that patients and clinicians are happy with this. And you know, if there's no buy-in from the population, then a tool like this cannot work. If there are kind of misperceptions or hesitancy for it, then, you know, that needs to be addressed. So that's definitely something we have planned to do in terms of qualitative analysis. As for traditional practices, the patients that are coming to these health centers, they have already chosen to come to these health centers. So we don't see ourselves as a competition with these traditional healers. But what we would like to do is that we'd like to provide children with the best care possible. And then if parents are choosing traditional healers for whatever reasons, whether it be, you know, bad quality healthcare or just for their personal reasons, we hope that the use of these ECDAs can improve the quality of care and in certain situations complement the traditional practices that are available. And is there a socioeconomic factor? Is there a cost to integrating the technology in different societies? Or is that something that's considered in the cost of the development of the technologies on your side, or perhaps it's considered in a government budget? And so obviously, you know, a a formal cost-effectiveness analysis needs to be done so that governments feel that this is worth it. There's already certain things that have shown us that it might be worth it to invest in such technologies. Notably, the huge reduction in the prescription of antibiotics. So the cost of antibiotics will go down. But not only that, if if we're able to reduce antibiotic resistance, that is something very hard to quantify in terms of monetary value. But that has a big impact in future clinical outcomes. Again, if we can show better clinical outcomes, that children are not quite as sick, that also can have a big impact even in an economic standpoint. And now the introduction of computers or tablets to men children, uh, obviously that will come at a big cost, but that's something that Tanzania has already said they want to do with their Tanzania digital health map. Their plan was to have an electronic record system throughout the country, all on computers. And so Tanzania has already said they want to invest in this. And so the use of our ECDA, clinical decision algorithm, would ideally be integrated with that so that it is all compatible and they're all using the same system. That's really great. And how are the local players involved? Like, how do you collaborate in the local context to maybe educate local stakeholders and train local stakeholders? How do you also get that buy-in from the governments? And also, I was quite interested in your mention of qualitative research. How many people would your team have on the ground being in the field, as well as doing the research, as well as analysing the data? How many people people are involved in this and how do you collaborate locally? So the initial steps right now, we're in close contact with our Tanzanian partners for the development of uh, these algorithms and also for the design of our study to make sure that we monitor it and evaluate the, the best way possible. Certainly, there's going to be future review processes of the algorithm with Tanzanian experts to make sure that it is adapted and it, it makes sense to the Tanzanian context. And so that, for us, is very important. While implementing the program and evaluating it, 
it's going to be mostly Tanzanians. Um, there's actually going to be very little Swiss presence in Tanzania during that process. So I'll be there. Uh, there might be a few other people coming in and out, but the main players will be our Tanzanian partners. So we have collaborated with the Ifakara Health Institute, um, which the Swiss TBH has collaborated with for the past 50 years, and the National Medical Institute. So it's kind of a Tanzanian-based government research based out of the University of Dar es Salaam, a research institution. And with those two partners in the two different regions where we've been working with, we'll be implementing this study and these uh, clinical diagnostic algorithms. And so, you know, it'll be a lot of Tanzanians training the clinicians on use of it and, you know, the everyday going back and forth to different health facilities to make sure it's working well and to make sure that there's not any problems with that. So you'll be out there for two to three years. Is that a pilot testing phase? Is it a trial phase or more like an implementation phase? Yeah, so I mean, we're going to be limiting it to 50 to 70 uh, health facilities for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will be tested over two and a half years in various stages. First stage will be compared. Half the centers will have the tool. Half will take care of children in a routine manner, the way they do it normally, routine care. So that we can compare both um, groups groups to, to make sure that there are improvements in clinical care and in antibiotic prescription. And then the second phase will integrate the ECDA to all the centers and then integrate a kind of machine learning uh, changes to compare the changes versus no change to constantly improve it with the incoming data that we have. The plan after that would be ideally and that depends on how Tanzanian buy-in comes in with our partners to hopefully be able to integrate it at a national level. There's also a bit of funding to have our Tanzanian partners work with other countries to introduce that system into other countries in the global south and around um, Tanzania. That's really amazing. It's very exciting. What are your what do you think that the prospects for further innovation are and what are you most excited about going into this project? I think fundamentally what this technology does is being able to provide tools that are generally lacking for clinicians that are out in rural settings. And so having them be able to use these tools with point of care tests, access to better tools and kind of getting equity in terms of the care and the tools that they have access to compared to more urban centers and, you know, compared to centers in the north. I think that's that's really exciting. And then obviously the artificial intelligence, we'll have to see how effective and what uh, changes can be do. But I think there's great potential of getting data from, you know, Tanzanian children to make sure that algorithms are developed for them. And so the way we're developing and the way evidence-based medicine works right now is that there are studies done that show that this and this and this are predictors of this disease and then this disease is best treated with this. And those studies are based on big trials all around the world, but often may not come from that setting in Tanzania. And so the idea of integrating big data and artificial intelligence is that we're getting the data directly from that population to improve those predictors and to improve those clinical algorithms based on that specific population. And so that is quite exciting. That's kind of better adapted uh, data for a certain population. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really, really great. Well, those are all the questions that I had. Thank you so, so much for all of your insights. And I wish you luck in Tanzania. And I hope the project goes really well. Great. Thank you very much.
So to discover more about this topic, you can access the following resources available in the show notes on our website. Discover more about the Ifakara Health Institute, the IHI, in Tanzania, and they are a leading research organization in Africa with strong track records in developing, testing and validating innovations for health. And discover the National Institute for Medical Research, the largest public health research institution in Tanzania. They conduct, coordinate, regulate and promote scientifically and ethically sound high quality health research and deliver evidence-based information that is responsive to the needs of human well-being. Read about the management of childhood infections in resource-limited countries in the paper A Novel Electronic Algorithm Using Host Biomarker Point-of-Care Tests for the Management of Febrile Illnesses in Tanzanian Children children epoch a randomized control non-inferiority trial that is in the plus medicine journal and watch valerie dacremont from the swiss tropical and public health institute speak about introducing the electronic clinical decision algorithms in tanzania in the ted talk i am not only a diagnostic machine learn more about the overprescription of antibiotics for viral infections and the introduction of interactive electronic decision support tools on the Management of Fevers website by the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute and read the implementation of Almanac in the ICRC and ECDA by the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute on their website. You can learn more about the successes and challenges of developing ECDAs in the paper Electronic Decision Algorithms for the Integrated Primary Care Management of Febrile Children in Low-Resource Settings, Review of of existing tools published in the Clinical Microbiology and Infection Journal by Christina Catel and Valerie Dacremont from the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute and learn more about IEDA and their mHealth strategy to improve primary health care through technology on their website. And you can learn more about IEDA and their work in Burkina Faso in the report IEDA, a digital solution to save children's lives by Ter Desom. Discover meds Sync's next generation clinical intelligence algorithms, which offer an integrated approach to assessing patients, and that's on their website. And learn about the approach used by D Tree International to design and develop technologies and systems to empower clinicians on the ground, also on their website. And learn about the final project report by Support Life and about AI for Social Good at Google, which includes research publications, open source tools, learning platforms, and more. That's on the Google AI website. And finally, Google awards a 1.3 million grant to the Doctors Without Borders MSF Foundation. Read more in Psychology Today in the article How AI and Smartphones May Help Fight Antibiotic Resistance. You can find us online at SOAS Coding Club. Follow us on Facebook at SOAS Coding Club and on Twitter at SOAS Coding Club. We broadcast every two weeks, so tune in to discuss what's to come in your global digital futures. Mm-hmm.